You're listening to the Racer to Racer podcast presented by Race 92. Race 92 is a vintage-inspired racing apparel brand specializing in celebrating vintage race culture and adapting to motorsports today. Check out race92.com for all your racing merchandise needs. I'm your co-host, Aaron Mack, the other co-host. You may have seen walking out of Barber Lounge 459 with a big old smile on his face. You may have seen him at a dirt track. He is Scott Bowie. Hey, everybody. How's it going, Scott? I'm doing good. Doing good. So this is a, a special um, episode. We did one of these last year with Pete Hallsberg and Mimo Gitley. Um, you know, really great. And this year will be great as well. Um, because it is our 2023 24 hours of Daytona tribute preview show, um, whatever you want to call it. And we talked to two very special guests. Um, well, first off, me and Scott both talked to Chris Neifel, who won the 2001 24 hours of Daytona with the Corvette team, um, with Ron Fellows, um, Johnny O'Connell, and Frank. Frank Freon? Freon, I think so. Yeah. If I'm yeah. wrong, I do apologize, but I think that was it. And um, yeah, it was it was great to talk to Chris. And um, you know, we've had him on the show before, and he definitely has a lot of good insight about 24 hours. We talk a lot about um just his experience winning the race and just you know, kind of his thoughts on racing today. And and then I did a a shorter interview with um good friend of the show, Randy Lanier. Um, and you know, he has a really interesting story about kind of how he his I mean, he he was a fan, and he that was his first um kind of introduction to Twenty Four Hours at Daytona racing. And it was he was a fan, and someone said, "Hey, there's a." I mean, he'd been racing at that point, but he was just going there as a spectator, and he had his helmet with him. And they're like, "Hey, there's an opening," and he went over there and got in the car and was pretty quick and almost as quick as their factory drivers, and they put him in the race just off the street. Obviously, I think there would be some some limitations now. Um, you have to have FIA license and a couple other things. That may be a little harder now, but um, and he talked. I mean, he had actually raced. I didn't realize it, but he did race in several other 24 hours at Daytona races as well. Um, he said they almost won it once. Um, and um, so you know, he talked a little bit about that. Talked about um, kind of what he thinks about racing today. He goes to the 24 hours at Daytona. He will be there this year. And um, yeah, it was great to talk to him. And um, you know, it was. I think it's two good people to to have on, and um, yeah, it should be a good races here. Yeah, no, um, yeah, I can't think of. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of great legends of that race. Uh, Chris for sure is one of them, and obviously Randy, uh, very successful driver in his own right. So yeah, I mean, they have a lot of great insight on that, and Chris talks about a little bit you know, like a lot of uh, nuances of running 24 hours and how to save the car. Uh, even though you're running flat out, you're still looking to save the car in different ways. And he discusses mm -hmm. that. So, um, yeah, I, I just think it was great inside information from the, you know, from the horse's mouth, basically. Absolutely. Randy, 1984 MC champion. And, you know, like we said, Chris Neifel, very successful sports car drivers. So I thought they were two great people to talk to. And, you know, ironically, both of them also drove in the Indy 500. Um, that seems to be a common connection with a lot of people we have, right? But um, right. it's cool. So, um, yeah, no, it was it was really great. I think I think people really enjoy it. And um, like I said, this race, this year's race will be pretty good, I think. And um, they, it's the biggest field they've had in a long time was 60, 60 cars. I think they had to put a cap on it. 
um, you know, have a lot of the European um, teams over. And um, I think I think it'll be a pretty great, good, pretty good race and um, be interesting to see kind of how it all pans out. And there's several of our former guests um, in the race. I know from our McGillivray's live show, um, I saw Gabby Chavez and Jared Andretti both qualified well. I think they're going to be on the front row for their class. So congratulations to them. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I saw Will Power had to um, withdraw from the race due to um, his wife having some health issues that they announced. Um, so definitely, you know, sorry to hear that. Hopefully she makes speed recovery. And then also um, Kevin Magnuson was racing with his dad, um, I think, in the GT class. And Kevin Magnuson had to have surgery on his hand, I believe. So he had to pull out as well. Um, but other than that, I think there's. 10 IndyCar drivers in the in the field and um I think there's a couple of NASCAR drivers Austin Cindric's one of them and um yeah it'll um like I said it'll be it's, a great race. yeah definitely will yeah definitely no it'll be a great race there. and if you have Peacock you can watch the entire thing on Peacock part of it will be on NBC Motorsports um NBC I think does a great job with it I'm sure Dale Jr um and probably Hinchcliffe and um, you know, Parker Clickerman, all those guys will will be doing that broadcast and they definitely do a good job. Yeah, Parker, you know, I uh Parker when he ran midgets, he uh his shop was behind ours, uh out where our shop was off country club. He's a good dude, man. I like Parker. He's a he was uh you know, I didn't talk to him a ton, but uh he was a good dude. Absolutely. And he's one of those guys that he's definitely got a knack for the TV stuff. He does a great yeah. job. So he's you know. a good race car driver too. I mean, he, he can fly and get it done too in a race car. So absolutely, uh, it's, it's a weird dynamic really, because I mean, just full-time racing, I guess for lack of a better term, just didn't really work out for him, but he still can run, you know, certain races and he's still young enough that, you know, the, he's, current enough and he can really give great insight to what's going on so um yeah i, I like that dude and I, and I just uh i'm really glad he guys break in the sport one way or the other absolutely um so i don't i won't make our intro too long because um you know we have chris and randy we start out with randy i think we're gonna start with randy then we're gonna go into the chris interview and you know chris interview is a little longer so don't want to <laughs> don't want to bore people two months with our intro and so people can just get straight into it. Um, yep. Absolutely. So special thanks real quick to, you know, some kind of, some of our partners, um, first off racer collect. Um, just saw Patrick Patton this past weekend at the, um, memorabilia show at the Delara factory. So it was great to see him and please go to racercollect.com If you're looking for any racing memorabilia, also fast times, indoor karting, um we have one video that we will be releasing sometime in a few weeks hopefully um already recorded and we have several others with some other former drivers that we will be recording in the future so looking forward to that those are a lot of fun please go to fast times indoor karting um if you want to have a great time at an indoor karting track definitely best best one in indy so please check them out um last but not least good folks good guys uh, hitting an air located in Indianapolis, please. If you have any issues or if you just need general maintenance or checkups, uh, give them a call. Great people and they do great work. Absolutely. So please check them out. And I do want to, you know, 
mentioned McGilvery's. I think we will be doing our um, live show, I think February 28th, but we will keep everyone updated on that. So no January show, but I think February 28th. Um, and this will, we'll get the details of that out and, um, top gun racing, grand King race shops. Thanks to them for helping us get that together. And, um, yeah, I think, um, hope everyone enjoys, um, this preview show and hope everyone enjoys 24 hours at Daytona. And until then, hope everyone has a great week. Yep. And, uh, check out the rich Fogler scholarship, go to the website. Um, and they'll, they'll have a live auction it goes to a great cause. Everybody take care. Please enjoy. We are joined by returning guest, good friend of the show, 1984 IMSA GT champion, Randy Lanier, for our 2023 Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona preview show. Randy, it's always an honor to have you on the show, and um, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I love the 24 Hours of Daytona. Looking forward to it. Uh, I first started racing there in 1982 was my first 24 Hours of Daytona with a BB512 Ferrari. And from then, it was some Porsches and some marches and finished second in 1983, which was my best year. Uh, thought, thought I was, had a chance to win it, but the rain kind of crept in and they uh, red flagged the race. And the race was stopped uh, earlier. We didn't run the whole 24 hours in 1983. AJ okay. Ford won that year. I finished second. Uh, and, and, right. And before anything else, I wanted to hold up your book. Make sure if you haven't, go to Amazon.com, right? And they can buy yeah, your book. Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, Survival of the Fastest. Uh, got a mixture of the marijuana smuggling, the prison, and racing cars. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, talking about Rolex 24. So your first um, your first one was kind of an interesting story, right? I mean, you went there as a spectator, and you ended up in a car. Yeah, amazing how life can throw you some some fastballs, curveballs, went there as a, a spectator and ended up driving a, a BB-512 Ferrari only to have the gearbox break. I think we ran, I'm not sure, I, I want to say 18 hours maybe. And what, and what year was that? 1982. 1982. So you were, were you doing full IMSA then or was that before you, that's before Blue Thunder? Yeah, that was before Blue Thunder. Blue Thunder the GTP March team we put together and ended up winning the championship was 1984. I did the 1982 24 hours of Daytona was my first uh, real race there. I had been driving some three, five, sixes in sports car club of America since 79. Mm -hmm. So, but not the 24 hour race, just some local SCCA races at the track. And you had, so when you showed up for that event, I mean, you had your helmet and suit ready to go just in case, right? Wherever I took my motor home, I'd take my helmet and suit. So, yeah, I had uh, the helmet and suit because I'd been driving in SCCA at E-Production in a 356 1957 Porsche. So my helmet and suit and stuff stayed in my motor homes. Uh, so it was with me. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, that's smart. Um, so as far as the, the track goes... How do you think the track? I mean, they they didn't have the bus stop back then, did they? They the came back. Yeah, they didn't have it. They changed it. I think in 1983 they had it. Right, right, cool. Um, so I mean, how how different was that track really? I mean, the banking and stuff. You probably hadn't driven anything with banking like that, right? At that point. No, the only other banking that was like that is the 
they had a Texas World Speedway that had mm -hmm. good banking. Charlotte, North Carolina had banking, so I'd driven those tracks. Uh, okay. But Daytona, Daytona is unique with their, their I think it's 33% banking right. there. Yeah, it's a lot different when you're actually walking on it than what it looks on TV. Oh, when you're walking on it, it, it's, it, it blows your mind. You go, boy, I didn't see this on TV. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and what was the um, – and that was – so that would have been your first – was that your first 24-hour race at that point? Your first Rolex 24 was your first 24-hour race? The first 24-hour race was with the BB512 team. What I'm saying, that was your first ever 24 at any track. Yes, that was that your first was my, ever 24. Yes, that was my yeah. first 24 hour race. Yes, I had been uh, watching as a spectator, but mm -hmm. never driven. Mm -hmm. Never driven it. I started watching. I started going to the 24 hours at Daytona and, and didn't miss a year until I I got imprisoned and locked up so for <laughs> uh, importing marijuana, and that started that in the late 70s. Right. As, as a spectator. Oh, okay. Um, what and how, I mean, did you approach that race any different? I mean, how did the 24 hours, I mean, did that really change how you approached it at all? Um, because obviously it's, it's an endurance race, right? So you're racing yeah. a lot within 24 hours. So one, one good thing about being a team is being a team player. And that means treating the car the way it should be treated for a 24 hour race. Um, not using up the tires and the brakes because your team member is going to be getting in it right after you. Mm -hmm. So you want to be kind to the tires and the brakes and, and the car itself. Um, now with these cars, it's like full out blown racing. Uh, not yeah. uh, endurance racing. You think they're running as hard as they can run for 24 hours. Uh, I think in the seventies and eighties, they would try to kind of pace themselves a little bit mm -hmm. and we would do, there would be about three drivers that would do three-hour stints. Now some of these teams have four drivers, maybe more, yeah. and they don't do the three-hour stints. The majority of the teams now, I think, are doing a little bit less stints than they did back in the day. Right. I know at one point, a couple people we've talked to who've raced in the Rolex 24, at some point, I mean, there was just two drivers for some teams, sure, which is that, just crazy. Can, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of teams had two drivers in the 70s. Right, and um, so obviously you you race in Indy 500, Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona, 24 Hours of Le Mans. How do you think really like the you know the pageantry with Rolex 24 kind of compares to the other races? Obviously, it's not as big, um, but still a pretty pre prestigious race. Probably the most prestigious 24 hour race in the United States. Oh, absolutely! The 24 Hours Daytona is golden, and uh, I love that race. It, 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 it has a lot of fans, a lot of diehard fans. The weather gets a little chillier here in, in Daytona in, in January. And it, it, to me, it's, it's a fabulous race. I love it. To compare it with Le Mans, it's completely different, whereas with the track and the atmosphere is different. Um, I, I love the 24 hours of Daytona. I'm looking forward to it. And if, if any of the viewers haven't went, please check it out because uh, you, you'll experience a, a great time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so when we kind of look at racing today, obviously things have changed a little bit. The, the big topic of conversation with people these days is the ranking system, um, the silver, the gold, silver, and bronze. Um, Kind of what, what's your input kind of on how the sport has kind of changed with different things like that? 
Yeah, we didn't have the rankings back then. You could just go drive in Le Mans, go drive here in Daytona, a Sebring. If you had your competition license, you get in the car and drive. Um, that with the rankings maybe have brought a little bit of safety to the other team members and so forth, uh, hopefully, and getting qualified people because when you get sometimes these – long endurance races would have a hundred cars in the field, 90 mm -hmm. cars in the field. That's a lot of cars to be on the track at the same time with multiple uh, series in themselves from the GTU, GTO, and GTP cars. Well, you get three or four different classes of cars going at different rates of speed. You really got to pay attention. And then you don't have the ranking. You got a lot of amateur drivers that are maybe doing their first races and um, you have to just really be on your toes in those days. Right, right. And, and the problem now is it seems like there's a lot of very qualified drivers that have trouble getting um, getting it right. Because for, so I think silver, if you're a silver driver, that's the hardest um, driver to find like a to, to be able to get a ride. And they say bronze is easy as in a lot of drivers once they get to a certain age. Like Johnny O'Connell, for example, who's won Rolex 24. He's a silver. And I think he said um, it'll be a lot easier for him to get a ride once he turns, I think, 60, because then he'll be bronze. So it's really crazy how kind of the politics are involved now um, <laughs> with, with, with the sport. Yeah, the one of the things is you've got to bring still sponsorship or money. These seats yeah. aren't, aren't open for anybody just because you've got a license. Um, hopefully. Uh, that would change, but um, unfortunately, it takes of twenty-four-hour race, and you got to bring money. Oh, absolutely! Um, and and your first, so your first Rolex twenty-four, you actually, I think it was like five hundred bucks or something. You had to pay. Did you have to bring money for your first one when you walked? In his I think period. I, uh, yeah, I, I think I gave, I gave him $5,000. A thousand. Okay. Yeah. It's probably a little more now. <laughs> um, yeah. so, and, and then, so like, I guess my last thing is, um, you know, obviously you were locked up for 27 years, you get out, you go to the Rolex 24, I think what, three or four years after you got out, maybe five years, pretty soon after kind of yep. what, what was your impression, um, you know, going there 30, 30 something years later? Obviously, the cars are a lot different. The technology is a lot smells, different. The smells the same, the, the rubber, the, the smell, the exhaust, the, the sound. I, I, so much. And I loved it all. But the reception I got was just stellar. I just was really felt good to get to reception. Uh, coming in from like being the black sheep of the family to coming in to getting a really good reception from friends that I used to race with and compete against and some of the people I drove against. So it was great seeing uh, all the camaraderie there and uh, the take that I got from um, being away for so long. I really got a good reception coming back into the uh, racing world. Absolutely. And, uh, and we were we were joking because we we got to tour the Ganassi race shop um, a couple months ago and we got to see their, their prototype and it almost looks like a spaceship more so than a car. 
And we were joking about how the Blue Thunder racing operation was probably yeah. a little different than that. Yeah, the, the cost has changed, but the excitement and experience that you get when you go to a racetrack hasn't changed. So uh, we're blessed to have the 24 hours coming up here in a couple of weeks. So we are joined by a returning guest. Um, he was a 2001, part of the two, 2001 overall winning team of the Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona, Chris Neifel. Chris, um, it's always an honor to talk to you. Um, how are you doing? Doing fantastic. It's nice to be back with the R2R guys. <laughs> I know you um, You actually were listening to our podcast pretty early on, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I enjoy I enjoy uh, catching up with you guys. And, and as I mentioned last time we talked, particularly I like guys that I know because it's just fun to hear their version of uh, history. <laughs> then I can compare notes with how I remember things. It's all good. Well, what, what's the old saying? It's your side, my side, and the truth. It's something like that, exactly. Somewhere <laughs> there in lies the truth. Somewhere right. in the middle. Yeah. We still need to try to do a show with you and um, Hallsmer together. I think that'd be a good one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, right. I I do all the talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, Pete talks a lot. Yeah, he does. He's, I love Pete. He's a he's moving. He actually told me he's moving to Indiana. I think. Moving back to Indiana. Yep. Oh boy, that's uh, <clears throat> get him a snow shovel for his housewarming gift. Well, he lived in Michigan before, so. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a good point. Good point. He's so, uh, moving south very slowly. Yeah. yeah. Getting getting south of uh, what's what is the the uh, inter, not interstate but state route thirty. Isn't that the thing? If you're south of uh, state route thirty in Indiana, you're in the south, right? And that's up north. I've never heard that. Yeah, I think heard that either. Yeah, southern Indiana begins at like south of State Route 30 or something like that. No, I was actually I was texting with him the week it was like super cold here. It was like below zero, and he he's like, "Yeah, I want to. We want to move to Indiana where it's a little warmer." And I was like, "You realize it's below zero, right?" No, it's crazy. Well, two two of my two of my my two sons both in the last year, year and a half, moved from uh, Southern California to Chicago. Oh. So, yeah, right? Go figure. So they're experiencing winter. It's good for them. Yeah, real winter. Real like, winter. That's, that's yeah. winter, winter there. That's Yeah. So I'm just sitting here in my shorts and a T-shirt suffering because it's like 70 degrees. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the uh... So, so obviously we're doing a Rolex 24 yeah. um, preview show. Um, I, I, of all the people we've had on, I don't think there's anyone better than you to definitely have on. First off, you were the overall winner of it. Um, we're talking about Pete Hollis. We had Pete on for our show last year, and he won it multiple times as well um, in his yeah. class. So, uh, no, it's, it's great to have you on, and um, we'll talk a little bit about, about the race. But first off, obviously, like I said, you won the 2001 Um race with and your teammates were and actually we just had one of your teammates on our podcast um johnny o'connell we haven't released it yet johnny rudd yeah he's a good dude he's a good dude so you were with johnny o'connell ron fellows and there was someone else right then frank freon normally we would just do three drivers but because the earnharts dale and dale jr drove in our sister car in the in the four car or actually they were the three car there but uh, so the, the two Earnhardts drove with Kelly Collins and Andy Pilgrim. So Frank Freon came over and 
did some time in, in our car, which was pretty good timing on his part. So he got to, <laughs> he got to uh, join the, join the winning crew, which was, which was pretty cool. Always good to have Frank. He's such a good dude. And, and that was Johnny O'Connell's first race with Corvette racing. So oh, wow. that was, that was a, quite the debut for Johnny as well. And now Pretty he's neat. the most successful GM factory driver in the United States, I believe. Oh, oh yeah. If you take his, uh, his world challenge with all the Cadillac stuff that he yeah. did after that, yeah, he, he, he definitely tallied up a bunch. I'm sure he'd like to uh, continue to pad that. No, he's not, he's not done yet. So it's all good. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you, how many, so how many Rolex 24s did you race in? I did, let's see, I did a couple in the 962 mm-hmm. and then three with Corvette. So like five, five, maybe six. So yeah, it was, uh, but it was like, but there was a big gap because it was sort of like the eighties and then late nineties, early two thousands. So we did the, uh, the three, the three that I did with Corvette racing would have been 99, 2000, 2001. And we were third in class in 99, leaking oil all over the place. Good thing it was raining. No one could really tell, except that we had to stop for oil more than we had to stop for fuel, which was fairly comical. And then uh, 2000, we were second overall to the uh, Orica Viper, the Olivier Beretta, Carl Venlinger car. And we they beat us by just less than 30 seconds. It was like 29 seconds was the margin of victory. But we... That race got spoiled for us in the first few hours where we had a, uh, a problem with the, the fuel tank in the pits. We weren't, it wasn't dispensing all of the fuel into the race car. So by the time that got sorted out, we had to make some extra pit stops in the early hours of that race, which put us into a, a hole that we ultimately never were able to climb out of. So, and then of course, the uh, overall win in 2001. So it was a pretty good, pretty good progression, three, two, one. Well, I think that's a, a really interesting um, thing to think about uh, in in endurance racing. I mean, there is such you know things that just go wrong, and it just uh, and then you have to overcome them. And some of them, obviously, you can't overcome for the win. You know, sometimes it just becomes the finishing is the oh, win at that point. Yeah, without a doubt. And to you know, keeping things in perspective, and your point is a good one. Our first year with Corvette Racing, the goal was to finish the race, period. And it was to bring both cars home, you know, running at the end of the race. And it really, that was, that was job one. And, uh, you know, that proved to be quite a difficult task because we were, we were definitely limping. Like I say, we were squirting oil big time, but, uh, you know, it it worked out and we were able to to do that. And, uh, and that was you know, that was a success and it was success because we achieved our goal of finishing the race. And then at that point, you learn from all of the things that you need to improve on, you know, all the things that went wrong, whether it was mechanically or how the team worked or what the drivers did, you know, you take a, take a good look in the mirror and you, you evaluate and then you come back stronger. And, uh, you know, that was, that was really one of the most fun things to do was building that program from the early days was to, you know, to go through that process. It was pretty cool. Now in 2001, obviously you talk about, um, you know, the Earnhardts. Do you, do you think that um, more helped the program or maybe just cause, um, obviously it caused a lot of media attention around it, um, which, you know, can create some conflict as well. Like 
what what do you think they really did with the program? Um, the racing it, in it? Actually, it was it was pretty cool because they they didn't, and I don't know how many people know this or not, but they did not just show up and drive. They actually did a lot of testing in the in the fall of 2000. They did lots, and I mean a lot of miles, a lot of hours, and uh, they put in a lot of time, you know, behind the wheel, getting getting used to the car, and uh, and you know, so they they worked hard at it. So they didn't just show up at Daytona and you know drive the thing around. They they took it very very seriously, and uh, that was that was pretty cool to see. Now, in terms of you know, did it help or hurt the team? In the, in the big picture, because you have to remember back in those days, Corvette racing was still in its infancy and uh, having them, having them do that was a huge deal. And it was, it was hugely beneficial for the team just in terms of, as you mentioned, the notoriety and all the attention that they brought to the program. And of course, what it did is it shifted the focus squarely onto the three car, you know, which was obviously Dale's number at Daytona. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it put the put the focus on them and it made it in a sense it almost made it easier for like Ron and myself and Johnny because we just flew under the radar and we were the, we knew we were the car to beat anyway like we weren't we weren't remotely worried about dealing with those guys in the racetrack because we knew we were faster than they were and you know head to head they weren't going <laughs> to beat us so that wasn't even an issue but in terms of just the in the the weeks preceding the race, um, there was really no attention on us, which, like I said, it allowed us to fly under the radar. And in there, in the in the true sense, it does take pressure off you because you're, you know, you're not the uh, you're not the focus of attention. So it does make it a little bit easier. But of course, you know, once the once the race starts, you have to you have to perform. You know, it's funny uh, we're talking about factory factory team racing and that sort of thing. And, it, uh, and you know, of course, right now, Andretti's are wanting to go F1 racing with Cadillac. And uh, you hear the retort from the F1 teams basically saying that American, American car companies don't know how to go racing. And I beg to differ. I, my brother worked for that peerless Chevy team for a while and when these car companies want to go racing they they go racing oh and uh you know it's just it's it's so funny to listen to them talk posture more or less because american car companies can go racing when they want to go racing oh there's no question about it it's just that look that's the that's the the elitism and the snobbery of that ilk you know right. and they they look on it's whether it's whether it's an American driver or American teams that are wanting to go into Formula One, you know they they look down on us regardless, you know, and it doesn't matter what it is, even in society, you know, there's yeah there's that sort of thing. So to me, that's really not that big of a surprise. Now, having said that, it would be nice to have an American team go over there and actually perform perform. And then at that point, you can, you know, give them one of those. Perform, and, perform as an American team. Yes, well. yes. And, you know, do, yeah, and really, you know, go over there and, and win, um, yeah. which would be cool. And, and a lot of that, look, I mean, when it comes to the, excuse the me, car. Excuse me, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Let me shut this door. My apologies. Yeah, sorry no about that, guys. The cat kicked the door open, and now people are walking <laughs> in, and so it's, it's getting loud. 
it's a strong cat. But the, uh, the, the, the big thing is, will they commit the resources? Because let's right. face it, it's, it's cubic dollars in Formula One. And, right. you know, is, is GM ready to make that sort of commitment? Obviously, Michael has other sources of, of revenue, which is good to see. But, uh, you know, having a, having a technical partner and, you know, someone that can put, you know, substantial amounts of dollars behind the program is obviously necessary. So we'll yeah, see. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, that you're right. I mean, that, it, that is the thing to be seen. I mean, I mean, on, on the surface, it looks like they're ready to, to start marching down that road. I mean, uh, yeah. so it, it'll, it'll definitely be interesting. You know, they, they just broke ground on that new facility here in the, uh, you know, North of Indy. Um, and yes. I, they seem ready to do whatever it takes to go do this. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's about the only thing Michael's not fielding a team in is Formula One. He's everywhere else, which is pretty legit. Well, he he said today that once they once they get this F one deal done, he wants to be in NASCAR, and then that'll pretty much be it. That's good for him. Yeah, <laughs> he's a, he's that's what I dominated. thought. Man, that's awesome. That's very cool. And look with these new with these new NASCAR cars, which are finally in at least in certainly in my lifetime, it's the first car they've ever had that's actually a legit race car. And so right. now would be a good time to get in there because at least they're not these you know big old giant tanks that just can't perform. You know, at least they have a, a good race car. So be a good time to do it. Right. Pretty cool. Well, I like it. Good for you, Michael. <laughs> it's awesome so what's up with the uh, rolex what are we going to talk about so i mean first off i mean this year i think it's a biggest field right scott or one of the yeah. biggest fields because it capped at yeah. 60 yeah and yeah. just two years just two years ago i think it was the lowest car count which was like 38 and that was in 2000 i believe yeah it used to it, it used to be up in the 70s and 80s um you know the I'm sure they I'm sure they capped it um, somewhat because it, look these these new prototypes are not small race cars they're like big giant race cars sort of like you know the 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 recent the, the new Formula One cars if you if you compare them to the F1 cars of the 1980s or something they dwarf them and uh, you know these these new GTP style IMSA cars they're quite large so I'm sure they've had to make accommodations in terms of the length of the pit boxes, which obviously if you, I'm not sure how many of the prototypes there are, I think it's less than 10, but you know, if you start adding, you start adding five feet in length of to, you know, each pit box, you know, you right there, you shrink your, shrink your amount of available length in pit lane. So um, I'm sure that has something to do with it, but uh, I'm, you know, look, it's, I'm sure it's, Quality over quantity. I'm sure they've, you know, they've thought plenty hard on that number to get to. I think they're starting 61, which is something like that. But uh, it's a, it's a, it's a good field. The uh, it would be cool if the GTP field is able to grow a little bit in the next couple of years, where it nudges up into at least the mid-teens or closer to 20 of the of the uh, of the GTP cars and sort of get it back to how it was in the, like the 962 days back in the eighties where you had, you know, pretty large fields of the, uh, of the GTP cars. 
but it, the, the one thing I'm most excited about is we're back for the first time in so, so many years that the cars are the stars. Finally, yep. these CCP cars, the cars are the stars. They're, they're legit. They're beautiful. They're sexy, you know, and, uh, you know, that's just been such a long time coming, you know, I mean, gosh, you know, if you go back to the old Daytona prototype days, you know, those were the, you know, but I mean, they were seriously just horrible race cars and uh, yeah, there's big tanks, you know, they were just slow and ugly and whatever. And, uh, you know, they obviously served their purpose at the time because of what was going on in the, in the sport, but they were junk. And this is what, needs to be happening so this is to me a huge great step in the right direction for for sports car racing in this country it's really cool and I, i'm excited for the you know the cars being the stars like i say and and you know be able to watch them watch them perform it'll be really cool you know that's funny to field i'm so sorry if you were saying to field hmm. um what do you think the good number is for the for the the elite class you know what do you think I mean, because we're we're right under ten now. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you think it's? I think it. I 14, think it, 16? I think it's like in the sixteen to twenty. Like sixteen would be actually sixteen would be a really good number, but you know, twenty would. You know, if you could have sixteen, sixteen like full time runners, and maybe you you pick up an extra two or three, four for your your, your Daytona Sebring Petit Le Mans type thing, and. Uh, you know, and, you know, make the field grow a little bit there. But uh, in, in 16 might be a little optimistic. And if it ends up being 12, I mean, 12 is better than nine, you know, for right. and uh, it's just, it's just better, you know, having more. And, and I think, you know, if, you know, Porsche historically does customer cars. So as that, as that program evolves and they're able to spin out some customer cars, that's where that number can come from. I'm not suggesting that the, that you need four more manufacturers. You just need one of those manufacturers to provide customer cars, and you know, likely that would be Porsche. And if you could, if they could sell four or five of those, you know, you turn you turn nine into fourteen, and you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, that would that would. I think that I agree with you. I think that that would be the perfect range. Yeah. Uh, to have because if you get too many, I don't know. You, you, you don't. Know. You don't need. You don't need too many. You, you what you need is you need good ones, and they obviously the yeah. nine are, are legit. So that's right. You know, they've got that, but then you know you need a few more privateer things that are like can run with the big boys, and then if you have a couple that are not quite as good, that's okay too. You know, you know, we're because you you need to bring teams up from the your lower echelons that are maybe coming from the, the smaller prototype categories or want to move from GT racing or whatever, wherever they come from, you know, where they can come in and, and sort of get their feet wet, be really good. But in the meantime, we got what we got and it's, it's something to really look forward to. And, you know, so, you know, we're obviously talking mostly about the, you know, the GTP and that's what should be talked about, but, you know, we have a, a really solid GT category that uh, technically too, because you have the GT Pro and then the you know the AMP, which I think is stupid, but whatever they should right. just have call it good. And uh, these, you know, these amateur, you know, the amateur 
they're just as good as the the pro. They have you know like have one like one quote unquote bronze driver, and the rest guys are they're all A list guys anyway. So <laughs> it's kind of a silly thing, but I guess that's what pays the bills these days. But uh, that's going to be a, a heck of a race. And you know the the thing that'll be interesting is you have you know the tried. <laughs> Tried and proven reliability. They're, they're pretty much bulletproof. All those, you know, GT cars, you know, they've got that figured out. All of them have it figured out. So they're just going to go out there and rip it. And, uh, you know, so you know that, that that's almost a no one. They're just going to go out there and, and run their race. And, and there shouldn't be a whole lot of surprises other than, you know, the unknown, you know, traffic and whatever. But uh, those cars are pretty reliable. So, you know, that that's interesting but then you have the the flip side with the new category with the gtp cars it is an unknown it's a you know they're all new cars they're new for everybody and even though they've been testing they certainly <laughs> haven't they haven't been doing enough testing right so, i mean you you think back you know petit lamal was not that long ago right and that's when they really first started turning wheels like the day or two days after petit lamal and, you know, so they've had a very short period of time to sort of, you know, massage these cars and, and get to learn them and uh, stuff, stuff will happen. You know, you can expect, uh, expect some, you know, some unknown, some attrition, some stuff might happen. And, and it will be interesting to see where's the, you know, in the more recent years with the, with the prototype cars, they went out and basically just ran sprint, you know, they sprinted the whole race. They were going, you know, hard at it, you know, from the green flag. And it'll be interesting to see if that's something that they even consider doing. I mean, maybe a couple of guys try it, but it might be interesting to see if, if, you know, a couple of the cars actually just sort of try and stay on and around the lead lap, or maybe even not even worry about getting a lap down two laps down and just, you know, run a little bit more conservative. And what I mean by conservative, obviously, you know, to, to make lap time, I mean, as bulletproof as these cars are these days, you know, there's little things you can do as a driver, all of the little nuances that, uh, that just make it easier on the car. And it's as much that, uh, like if you're if you're going through the bus stop and there's there's bumps and there's bumps on the transition up to the you know when you climb up onto the banking you know twice twice a lap and you're you're full throttle but if you have the throttle pinned to the the floorboard everything is rigid in the car and, and I mean it's just rigid so when you go over those bumps the drivetrain the axles everything you know the gearbox it's just all that shock wave goes right through all of the mechanical parts. And if you just, if you just literally, it's almost just like if you just reduce the pressure on the throttle just ever so slightly as you're going through the bumps, it relieves a lot of the pressure and the stresses that go through the, the mechanical parts of the car. And yeah, it starts to cost you hundreds, maybe tenths of a second a lap um, every time you do that. But in the big picture, it also is the thing that you know keeps you in the race for the whole time so you don't have gearbox problems or half shaft problems or you know stuff of that nature so um it'll be interesting to see if some of these teams play it a little bit more or maybe they have one car a little bit more of a rabbit and one is a little bit more conservative oh yeah 
I mean, it's obviously something they they know going in. It's all they they have a plan, and uh, you know they're the ones that know it. But it'll be interesting because you know these uh, you know these cars might have some technical difficulties, and you know, and let's see if it rains. If it rains, it makes it even more interesting, right? That's right. So a, a couple of things. So it's funny you were talking about the older cars just being junk, basically, and it's funny because Johnny O'Connell was telling us a story about um dale senior doing an interview saying oh that was the best that's the best car i've ever driven or something along those lines and johnny was just like they, those nascars must be just absolute trash <laughs> well yeah the, the old cup cars were you know garbage mm-hmm. compared to sports car i mean just mm-hmm. like it's crazy i mean even even it doesn't even matter what you compare it to i mean you know like the uh I mean, going back into the, like the, even the eighties, the, you know, the, the Camaros and Beretta Trans Am cars or the Roush Mustangs, those were so far superior to the, the 1980 cup cars and every every step of the way. And I mean, just, but it's not a fair comparison, you know, it's, you're not comparing apples to apples, obviously, but uh, yeah, no. So they, Dale, Dale senior and junior, both loved driving the Corvette because of its performance capabilities. They just literally, you know, I mean, it was, you know, it was downforce, brakes, tires, you know, you go right, you know, proper gearbox, all the things that NASCAR cars didn't have. Right. And True. They, they kind of do now, which is pretty cool. Right. And, um, <clears throat> and then you were, you know, kind of brought up an interesting point that I've never really thought about. I mean, so, I mean, there's teams with multiple cars and obviously 2001, there was two Corvettes. Like how do teams kind of use that to their advantage in a 24 hour race when you have two or three cars on a team? Like how do you work together? Yeah. I mean, you, you obviously you, you sort of do your own thing Mm -hmm. to, to the, to the extent, but you'll, you'll, it allows you to, you know, split a strategy you know, whether it's, you know, if, if, a, if a caution comes out, that's not necessarily an ideal time, you might, you might split a strategy there. And because at least you have one car that can, you know, w- someone's going to be right. It's going to be one or the other that gets lucky. So you can, it allows you to do things like that. And it does allow you to have one car maybe go a little bit more aggressively than, than the other. And, uh, and you, you're basically hedging your bet, right? Because you, you have one that's uh, that's going to go harder, and uh, you know, then one that's a little bit more conservative. And and at that point, you're you're gambling if there's attrition, you'll be covered. And right. you know, that's that's all well and good. Those those plans usually go sideways, though. You, you, <laughs> right. You know, it's like <laughs> you know, the the engineers have all these things scripted out and believe me by the end of the first or second hour you could tear that piece of paper up and you know just start over because the you know the races always take on a, a life of their own and you just have to be able to to respond to whatever happens you know at, at, at in real time and you, you see that you see that so often in these races coming down the last couple of hours you really really don't know you know if there's going you know if there's a yellow stuff that's completely out of your control and uh, you know, but you you try and get your try and get yourself in a position where you're 
you've got enough fuel to make the right number of stops, you know, in the last couple of hours so that you don't need that quote unquote extra stop. You know, you're 10 minutes short or something like that. So you're, you know, you're, you start doing the back timing of the race in the last probably six hours, five, six hours, you start looking at the finish and, and trying to get yourself dialed in for that. But, you know, you just hope that, uh, hope that you can stay out of pit lane. I mean, that's look, that's the, the trick to the full thing is, is, keep the car on the track and, you know, no unnecessary pit stops. If you want to do, you know, fuel tire driver change next, you know, just rinse and repeat fuel tires, drivers, and just keep doing that and you'll do well, you know, and, you know, some of the, the driver change thing, you know, the, because of the, the more recent IMSA rules, it's a lot easier now because they have these uh, minimum stop times. Where you have to be stopped for however many seconds it is. Um, and you know the fuel the fuel takes longer so like going back to like when i was doing it you know the you know you could you'd have to do 20 second driver changes because the fuel would be in the car and the tires would be done so you know anytime you know you didn't want the driver change to be costing you track you know time on the racetrack so but now you have you know like north of 30 seconds or even longer in some cases um so these these pit stops tend to be a little bit more leisurely than they they used to be, and I, I think that a lot of it is because of safety and uh, you know whatever their reasoning is. Um, I think some of it is even even limiting the, the amount of crew guys. Uh, so whatever their you know whatever the case is, it is what it is. But uh, you still you know like I say, you want to do fuel and tires and change your drivers and keep the car you know off of the unscheduled pit stops. If you can do that, you're going to be in good shape. And, uh, you know, and then, then the question is, you know, most of the teams are going to have to do brakes at some point, you know, you have to do your pads and rotors, but they can, you know, if you get a, you get a, a full course caution, you know, give or take midway through the race, anywhere in that 10 to 14 hour range, you'll see guys come in and do the, do the brakes and it really doesn't cost you that much. So, you know, that's it. And then, of course, if it's raining, if it's raining, you probably don't need to do the break. So there's lots of lots of variables. Um, well, for you, for you guys, when you did driver switches, I mean, obviously you're six foot six, right? Six foot five, yeah. six foot six. Yeah. What? <clears throat> so going from you to, you know, someone like Johnny O'Connell, I mean, Johnny's like what, six foot? Like what? So usually there's like the inserts and stuff like did you guys use inserts or kind of how did yes. that work? Yeah, so what we did, Ron and I, Ron and I, even though I'm taller than Ron, uh, we're pretty much we're similar in terms of our, our waist and, and mm-hmm. length of our legs and everything. So we sat in the same seat without any changes, adjustments. So our, our seat and belts and everything was just fine between the two of us. No, no changes at all. Then for, for Johnny, he used a, a insert that went just behind his, his back, like from the top of his butt up to his sort of shoulders put in an insert and then we ran a secondary a secondary left side lap belt that was that was longer right so he'd have his he'd have his uh he'd have his crotch strap his right side lap belt and then the the secondary lap belt for johnny was longer because he was obviously sitting further forward so he needed that extension and then the shoulder harnesses so it was really just a matter of you know, adding the, the secondary lap belt and then Johnny would just, you know, put the insert in and then pretty much good to go. At that point, we didn't adjust, you know, the steering wheel and everything was all set and, uh, you know, worked out, worked out pretty well. 
And we could, you know, we were actually the, the thing that was funny and it always confounded the, uh, the team guys, but the fastest, the fastest driver changes out in, in, out was always between Ron and myself. And we were obviously the, by far the two biggest guys and they could, they could never figure out how the, how the two big guys could actually do it. We just had it down. We had a good, good thing going. I tell you one what of the craziest you... drive. No, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Real quick. No, I was going to say one of the craziest driver changes. Um, I go to the Burl X 24 every year with my dad. And uh, <laughs> um, remember when Zanardi did it a couple years ago and just seeing him change is pretty incredible. That's right. That's I, I remember watching that on TV and it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. What I was going to ask is, um, about when would you guys start doing your strategy sessions for the race? Oh. I mean, is, is this something that started months ahead or months, months ahead? Yeah. Like, I mean, like example, like the, uh, in, in 2000, when we, when we finished second, Ron and I, it was just the two of us. We went to that Carabas for dinner. Oh, yeah, we were in, talking about in, that. Yeah. Daytona beach. And, uh, and we sat there just over a couple of cold beers and sort of lamented the fact that we, that we came up short and, you know, we, but we also realized that this was something that was very much within our grasp. If it was done, if, if we did it right. And uh, so for us, it really, it really started that, you know, right after the race, so, you know, three hours after the race, we, we were already thinking about how do we, how do we come back and do this and, and win this thing? And, and to, to more specifically answer your question, the teams will have ironed this thing out. Uh, I mean, it's obviously done now, you know, they have a, they have a plan in place. And uh, now, like I say, you know, best laid plans go south. I mean, all it takes is for a driver to cramp up, you know, you start to have a problem inside the cockpit or your, the driver's not feeling well or whatever the case is. And, you know, that, that could be, an unnecessary or an extra pit stop and that interrupts, you know, all of a sudden now the, the amount of time the drivers are in the car, that's, that's changed. You know, someone's having to pick up slack. Um, if there's any mechanical things with the car or the driver goes off the track, you know, any number of things obviously can, can, can destroy those plans, obviously in a hurry, but uh, the plan, the planning is probably done months in advance. Like as soon as, like I guarantee you, as soon as Petit Lamar was done, the focus shifted straight to Daytona, and all heads were in the game for the for the Rolex race. I think last year, I think there was a driver that tested positive for COVID. I think during the race or something, if I remember correctly, and so they had to, you know, someone had to do an extra stand or whatever. So there's a lot more oh, variables now. Yeah, they should just. Don't don't test and everyone will be just fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, it's like it's so dumb. I don't know but, if they're still testing. They may not still be testing. I don't know. I sure hope not. I mean, the guy's sitting in a race car all by himself. He's not hurting anyone. Leave him alone. With a helmet on. With a helmet on, right? Exactly. Breathing, breathing nice, clean air. But yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a. Uh, yeah, we used to get uh, we used to get some serious carbon monoxide headaches. The car, cars, oh my god, because they, they didn't really care about us drivers too much back in those days. Did didn't you have the vent hoses? Did you have a vent hose at all in your we, helmet? 
No, 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 no. They didn't. Well, I know uh, they don't now, but now they basically have like air conditioning in the cars, right? We didn't. They we didn't have any of that. Yeah. Uh, was, yeah. There was a little look, look, little air scoop that hung off the by the by the window net that would just like a little knack duct that would just blow some air into the car and just circulate it a little bit. But uh, the engineers didn't even like that because it was extra drag. But that's uh, that's right. Times change for the better sometimes. Yeah. But not always, though. Not always. But no, we've got an exciting race that that uh, that's coming coming up. And uh, you know, the the one thing that I've been I just I'm dreading. And I okay, I know Aaron, you you go down there, so you don't you don't watch on TV. But for those of us well, that do watch it on TV, I I love I love the guys that that do the broadcast. I know most of them very well, and for a very very long time, and. But I got to tell you, the one thing that I'm absolutely dreading is listening to Calvin talk about the championship and the points race literally before the, the race begins. It, it's a freaking 24-hour race. The first one, <laughs> I guarantee you, there ain't no one going to that race that's thinking about points. They want to no. win. They want to win that race. And okay, yeah, so you, you obviously want to finish as high up as you can and get as many points as possible. But they ain't points racing. I mean, fifty percent of the drivers aren't even in the championship. I mean, they're just doing that race. Exactly. So I'm I'm thrown down on on my my old friend Calvin. I just I'm completely literally dreading listening to him talk about the championship and points because I know he's going to do it and he's just going to give me a headache. I'm going to have to mute. <laughs> right. It's all it's all good, but uh, we're actually just. Uh, Lucky to have, lucky to have, uh, you know, a good peacock package and yeah. be able to watch that race. It'd be fun. You gotta, I know, I know you're not a big fan of going back to some races, but you got to go back to it sometime. Right. Yeah. I guess, I guess <laughs> I miss, I miss all the anniversaries. I'll have to wait for another anniversary. Well, I they honor, the they honor some of the winners and stuff, right? Oh yeah. They, they do all that stuff. Yeah. Maybe they'll, maybe for 25, 25 will be a big one. So like in three years will be a 25th anniversary. Maybe they'll do something. Yeah. We'll see. Cool. I don't know. If not, I can just buy a ticket and go hang out in the infield. That'll be more fun anyway. Yep. <laughs> like seriously, like go back and do it properly. Right. And um and, and Dale, you're talking about the you know the commentators, Dale Jr. I think he'll he'll probably be doing it again this year. He's done the past several years. He does a really good job with that. I yeah, think. he does. Yeah, no, he's 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 fun to listen to. He's a and I mean obviously knows exactly what he's talking about, but uh he's yeah, he's he's actually I, I enjoy listening to him, period. You know, he's he's an entertaining guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I he, do, he does a good that. job. He does a good job with this um, podcast. I don't know if you ever listened to his podcast. Yeah, I've picked up a few of them. Yeah, yeah. No, I enjoy. I'm waiting for my invite, but I don't think I'm high enough high enough up the uh, the A list and in his world to to get on there. I think you should uh, be. Yeah. Well, whatever. We'll I, um, we um. So for for this preview show. Um, it may just be you. I don't know. So last year we pieced together Paulsmer, and then we pieced together Mimo Gidley. Um, oh, so really? I think we're we're going to do something similar maybe this year. Um, I think we may get our our good buddy um, Randy Lanier to do a little 
10, 15 minute. I don't know if you're familiar with Randy at all, but he's, um, he's, he's funny guy. He's a good guy. Interesting story for sure. And his story getting into because his first ever Rolex, I think he was a spectator and there was a seat available and he got in the car and, um, was quick. So they hired him on the spot. That's pretty cool. Yeah, well, it's always, you know, what back in those days, it was show up with your helmet. You know, I mean, yeah. literally guys, you know, guys would literally walk to the racetrack without a ride. They just walk around with their helmet bag for a week. And more often than not, you know, they'd end up in a car somewhere. So some would cheek out. You know, there's always something, right? <clears throat> yeah, there's always something. I mean, even even at the Speedway, that stuff used to happen, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why. I was walking around with their helmet, hanging around in the Simpson room, waiting for something to happen. I mean, it still happens for- to an extent. People still definitely do that. Um, yeah, maybe more so 10 years ago or so, but now it's probably a little tougher. There just aren't enough cars. Right, right. You know, it's just not, it's not even, it's not even possible. It almost doesn't matter if you have the money now, you know, it's, there's, it is what it is, right? I mean, they've, right. they're, they're, they're stretched about as far as they can go, I think. Yeah, with with the way the engine programs are, it just yeah. uh, that's that's hard to overcome because you got two people trying to support the entire two engine manufacturers trying to support the entire grid. That's tough. Yeah, yeah, it's a big ask. It's a, yeah, it's a big ask. Well, at least they're not having to do any development. <laughs> <laughs> right. And those cars, those cars are all they're going to be eligible for historic racing before too long. <laughs> get them to sanction get the get hsr to sanction them well you know at least you can't call them throwaway race cars anymore you know everybody's always used to playing hey we only run them a year or two and we get rid of them yeah they're, they're they're definitely getting their money's worth out of those things there's no doubt they about are. it they are yeah. that's uh that's for another show boys that's uh, yep. that's another show but the uh, the flip side to that is these new GTP cars, right? This is what's cool, and and I'll tell you what you know. There's been some some negative, you know, some of the negative stuff has been brought to light in terms of the the age of the Indy cars, with these the emergence of these new GTP cars, because it, it really shows the contrast in terms of, you know, it. Look, I mean, what are the Indy cars are. 10, 12 years old, whatever they are, <laughs> probably all of 10 years old. And now you have these nice, shiny new prototype cars and you can, you know, you can really, really see how, how cool it can be, how, how good it could right. be in terms of like if Indy were able to do something like that. But the, uh, in the meantime, you know, it's going to be great for prototype racing because I think it'll just even gravitate more people towards them. It's they look cool. more like spaceships. I think they look more like spaceships than they do actual vehicles, but yeah. they're very cool. And the I saw a picture because I, I sent it to you, Scott, um, of the yeah, cockpit, Pagano. the cockpit of yeah, Pazano's car. There's so many buttons in that car, it's insane. I mean, they, yeah. they gotta be. I think I've heard people say like they get sent like some kind of like almost like a, a oh, instruction a, manual, manual or yeah. something, right? Oh, yeah, no, we get like even even when I was doing it, we had it was probably a 30 to 40 page. 30 like in a week we used three ring binders back in those days but it was mm-hmm. like a 30 to 40 page uh booklet that had all of the you know car functions and everything that you were supposed to 
learn. <laughs> I'm not sure anyone ever really, I'm not sure anyone ever fully read them. I'm sure a couple of the engineers did, but you know, it was, it was there if you wanted to do it, you know, you know, if I always, I always figured the, the, the cars all, are all set up with alarms. And if, if alarm goes off, it automatically flips to the page, you know, so if it was, you know, page X, you know, section three or whatever, page three, section X, whatever, it doesn't matter. If an alarm goes off, it's going to go automatically to that page and bring it up anyway. So it's one of those things that I never really worried too much about it. If you, I mean, as a driver, there's a whole heck of a lot you can do anyway. You know, other than change, you know, if they want you to start changing maps or change functions mm -hmm. and, you know, make some, make some stuff, you know, do some adjustments from the cockpit, you obviously do that, but uh, they, they'll talk you through it. But yeah, no, it's pretty crazy with how, how complicated they've made it. It's so, so unnecessary. It just like, you know, bring back Formula 5000, you know, just a good <laughs> old, just something simple, you know, three pedals, the steering wheel and a gear shift you know right make, them make noise go fast burn rubber you know look good sound good you know <laughs> like, like like even i saw a video of these 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 prototypes launching i mean so now they launch off the batteries they don't even you know like the cars you know they don't fire up they just you don't see so you don't there's no noise when the car launches because they're launching off batteries and then the engine right. kicks in you know once they're however many feet, you know, out of the pit box, then you can hear the thing, you know, fire up. And uh, I, I, I said to my son, I'm like, oh, and it's just one more, one more thing to make these things completely idiot proof now, because it's, you, you can't even break the car driving out of the pits because it, I mean, it used to be like, you know, you just, you know, rev it up, dump the clutch. I mean, you could literally pop your half shafts in the pit lane if you, you know, burn your clutch out you know you could screw the car up if you didn't drive the car properly just leaving the pit box now the thing with all these launch controls and it's not even now it's just off the battery so it's just it just goes you know you're not doing anything to the drivetrain to you know engage it's just like put it in d and drive and off you go it's just like I say, it's just one more thing. It's, you know, one step closer to, you know, virtual reality video game world, which is, like I say, it is what it is, but it's sort of, sort of sad in a way, but. It's, well, it's, I hate, I mean, I'm sure as a driver, you hate anything that takes it out of the driver's hands. Yeah. Like, seriously. I mean, I, I, it, I love it because it's something that I had to do or I had to learn how to do and I and I was actually good at it but you know there was an art to being able to to make lap time and you know take care of the car and right. you know and some were better than others at it and I mean you know like going back to the you know one of the classic you know comparisons in indie cars back in you know back in the 70s and 80s would be you know Mario and Al. I was gonna say that. And, okay, I mean yeah. you know what I'm talking about, and I mean that's the in terms of the the contrasting styles. I mean, you know, one guy took care of his car, and the other guy, you know, ran it a little bit harder. And you, you on many occasions, you saw the the difference in the outcome. Oh, I think if Mario had the cars they they have today, Mario may have won seven five hundreds. No. no. 
you're you're not lying. Absolutely right. true. Yes, it, it's so that's so accurate. I never really thought about that. Yes, but if you put him in today and he didn't have to worry about the the mechanical side of it, oh hell yeah, he'd drive away from everyone. Yeah, and people have to remember too about that era. The teams Mario was driving for were everything was the absolute edge of technology at the time. So if you were hard on it, I mean, you didn't have the testing capabilities you have today and, and the analyzations and all that. So man, if you're hard on it, you found out really quickly where the limits were. Yeah, no. And like I said, that was actually part of, part of the art of driving the car was being yeah. like, I said, being able to make the, make the lap time, but still be able to not break it. Right. And you know, just and there, there would you know that was a skill, and some like I say, some guys could do it better than others. Very, very, if you wanted to make a, it's not a not a comparison, but like a an analogy, something that would make sense in terms of today's drivers. Some guys are better at saving fuel than others. Right. Some some guys some guys just have a knack for being able to make the cars run longer on fuel. Scott Dixon, you know, and. And that's just something that he's able to do. And that's very similar to what we're talking about in terms of, you know, the reliability factor in terms of how you drove cars back in the, back in those days where you actually could break them. And, and right. sadly, sadly, it's a, it's sort of like, a, it's just a lost art, something that will never be needed again. Um, you know, it's, it's a finesse and a nuance that, that uh, drivers just simply don't, they don't have to learn how to do it because it's not, it's not necessary anymore. But, uh, but the, you know, but the, the most similar comparison would be the guys, the guys that are able to make good fuel mileage and still go fast. Those would be the same guys that would be able to be like Al. Right. You know, that's, yeah. that's, it's the same sort of thing that's going yeah. on in your head, you know? Right. No, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. Yeah. So we're talking about the 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 driving ranking system a little bit um, earlier, and that seems to be a a big topic conversation for a lot of people. And the big thing is people don't really understand how it works. I don't think anyone understands how it works. And you, Chris, being a former former chief steward of of um, CART, probably understands that there's a lot of politics in racing, and I'm sure that definitely has a lot to do with it. Oh yeah, but the the <laughs> thing that's the thing that's funny is you've got guys that are. Like O'Connell, as a perfect example. Yeah, he was telling wanted, us about that. Yeah, he, he wanted to be a bronze, and, and they wouldn't make him a bronze. Now and, he is, I think. And now he is finally. He's finally a bronze. And you, but you, you think about it, it would be like if you. So if you were, if you were a young upcoming driver, you want to graduate from bronze to silver as quickly as possible, and you want to get to, you know, gold or whatever the top thing is as quickly as possible that's obviously where you want to go because the you know the a grade a is better than a grade b you know and you know gold is better than silver silver is better than bronze um but for some of these guys as you're getting like o'connell you get some of these guys bronze later, is better yeah later in their career because the bronze opens up opportunities for them to get in a car and and you think about it if you're a team that's running in the obviously in the am but it's only a it's only a factor in the AM division that the, the pro cars have all, you know, gold drivers. So it doesn't matter. But if you put a bronze driver, that's a guy like O'Connell, 
you know, so what are the, what are the advantages to that? So even, even though he's, you know, a little bit older, but here's what you get. Here's the benefit of having a really skilled, experienced driver like Johnny being a bronze, being able to put him in a, as a bronze driver is take lap time and set it aside because it really doesn't matter because he can drive the car plenty fast enough, if, particularly if you're just going bronze to bronze, head to head. One, he's going to be able to drive the car more hours throughout the, the 24. He's going to be able to do more hours than most of the other bronze drivers that might, you know, not do their full load. So because he, he's capable of doing a full, you know, six, eight hours behind the wheel for sure. Secondly, he's not going to screw anything up. He's not going to throw the car off the track. He's not going to make rookie mistakes. He's not going to break the car. He's not going to get involved in a traffic situation that damages the car. None of that's going to happen with that ilk of a bronze driver. So there's huge advantages to having that guy be a bronze. Um, you know, so, you know, there's probably a lot of silver guys that are thinking, well, you know, because there, there's actually more value for them as a bronze than as a right. silver. So yeah. they, they might be a dime a dozen as a silver driver because there's a, a whole bunch of them, right? But now if you can if you can have a third driver that's really capable, um, you know, that's a big advantage. So I, it's, it's an interesting thing where I think it's one of those uh, unintended consequences, unforeseen circumstances that, uh, you know, that the FIA or all those, the, you know, the, uh, the licensing guys, they probably weren't thinking that completely through. They were, they were trying to figure out a way to make it so that the, the GTM category, you know, wouldn't just be stacked up with, uh, with pro drivers, it just, you know, protect the, the amateur side, but, uh, you know, now you're, you know, they're figuring out the teams are figuring out ways around that is really what it boils down to. I saw today they just announced Will Power is doing the Rolex 24. I think it's the first time he's really done any kind of IMSA racing, I believe. But um, what I, I was, I'm really surprised about. But he he would probably be. I mean, would he be a? He's never done a sports car race, so he'd be a bronze, right? Or would he be a silver? Oh, he's, he's a he's a gold. Would mm. he be? Even though you haven't, he hasn't driven. Well, he only won the IndyCar championship last. Well, year. I know, but that, there's a lot of people that don't get the the rankings they probably deserve. Yeah. Right, right. Well, okay, so give him a silver, you know. But, yeah, no, I mean, to me, it's like, like, I don't know what, I mean, there's no way he's a bronze, you know. I mean, give him. I would hope not. I would hope not. You know, I mean, the guy's, uh, you know, it's like he, okay, he, he he doesn't have a super license, but he should have a super license because he's that good. You know, <laughs> right. So. And that's a whole other can of worms. Is the that's super a whole other and... can of worms, right. You know. It's just retarded, is what that is. It's, well, we uh, well we learned um, from a live show. We do a live show now at a local bar here once a month, and um, someone told a story about Colton Herta. Obviously, he was trying to get in Formula One, and he um, they were he was going to race. What was it? Formula Four, F four? Yeah, Formula Four to get yeah. super license points. And um, because obviously he would probably sweep every single race, and the FIA would not allow it. They wouldn't allow it. That's yeah. so. It's, 
they're they're just retarded. Like who knows what they're thinking? Like seriously, and this is all this is all fairly recent with these new super license rules that they've concocted. Um, you know, they've they've basically made it so that you have to race Formula Two to even think about being in F1. You know, it's the only the only road to F1 is through F2, and it's just. Uh, I mean, it's so funny to think that a, a willpower Scott Dixon, all those guys. Oh, you don't have enough points. You know what right. I'm saying? It's right. insane. It's insane. You know, like you, you win the Indy 500, and it's like it's worth nothing. You know, in, in their eyes, it's it makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, it, we. It's kind of similar, but we 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 had um, Enrique Bernoldi on our show, which drove Formula One, drove the Indy 500. He's hooked mm-hmm. up with the FIA now, and he says when he goes out to eat with people like with FIA, he goes, "No one cares that he drove in the Indy 500. No one cares about IndyCar at all. They just care about um, Formula One." Yeah, no, they're very. Yeah, it, well, fair enough. You know, I mean, that's uh, they are sort of the the uh, the sharp end of the spear these days, so. We'll give them that. Yep. Well, it's uh, they got uh, they've earned it. They've done they've done good things in the in the last few years. Yeah. You know, particularly on the event side, impressive. You know, I, I, I hate the cars. Like, sorry, I was talking about how big the the prototypes are these days. Formula One cars are twice the size that they ought to be. It's it's insane how big those cars are. What do you think about the halo? And I guess, look, I mean, there ain't no going back. Um, my preference would be no. Um, but uh, I'd rather have the halo than the windscreen from aesthetically. Like aesthetically, yeah. like it, just in terms of my eyes, I, it's, I don't find either one appealing. Um, but aesthetically, it's not as you know, obnoxious as the, as the windscreen or the aero screen or whatever the hell they, they call it. Um, but you know, it's, uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's sort of one of those, there's, they're here to stay. They obviously, you know, have proven to be effective. And, uh, so, you know, that, that conversation just is over now. It's just a matter of, now it's just a matter of making the car's appearance, you know, look a little bit better. At least with Formula One, they've, you know, they build their cars often enough that it's sort of incorporated into the design. So it looks like it belongs, mm-hmm. you know, it's obviously a bolt-on piece for the Delars. So that's, you know, until until there's a, a new car design, it would be hard to integrate something into the, you know, make it make it actually look good. Right. You know. You would have to change the cockpit area and the, the nose and yeah. get everything to where aesthetically it looks good and performs. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and and make it so it's not so heavy, you know, get some of that weight off. You know, some of my concern with them is is if if you look at them, it looks like the way it is, it's a little higher in the front and it kind of looks like it kind of goes down a little bit. You know, I haven't I it's been a minute since I've looked at one. But it often looks like the driver's head's kind of sticking up a little bit hmm. on the sides, and I'm thinking, well, why do why do we have this if the driver's head is is it's kind of just of the angle? The halo. It's probably just the angle. And it may be. It, yeah. it, it yeah. may absolutely be. 
yeah. I mean, you, keep in mind you're talking to a guy that my head was above the roll bar. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> the um, I saw your car. I I, I think I texted you. I, we were, I was in the museum um in the basement. They have your car in the basement. One of your yeah, cars in the basement. Beauty. Yeah, the '84 car. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, a sweet, a sweet car. Still looking the, good. Uh, years. Does the museum own it, or does someone else own it? No, it's a museum. It was it was yeah. donated. It was donated. Yeah. So yeah, that was the two of them. Ron Hemmelgarten has the has the other one. Hmm. I think it's in his office up in Ohio somewhere. But yeah, so the Speedway's got that one, and it is. It's a beautiful race car. Still, like I say, still looks good. Looks better than the new cars. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, some of those old, some of those older cars were really good looking race cars. Yeah, not all. Of them. No, some not of them. all. Yeah, some were really good looking race cars. You know, it's a, yeah. you know, but you know that was you know that was the fun part was being able to try different things. You know, we talked yeah. a little bit about that before. You know, it's just, uh, and again, that's another thing. You know, those days are gone. We're not, yeah, we'll never see it again. But, uh, but you know, that's the. Uh, that's, you know, that's leaning back into Daytona. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this year's, this year's Rolex races, you know, new cars, shiny, right. new, shiny new toys. I mean, it's, it's exciting, you know, and, and uh, you know, this, I mean, I was thinking about it the other day and it's like, you know, these cars really, you know, it should be 2030 and they should still be running these race cars or, you know, updated versions of, but this should be the, the basis, the foundation for something that, you know, seven, eight years from now at the end of this decade, you know, those cars are still out there doing their thing, going strong, you know, at least in some, you know, some evolution of, of this platform, you know, if, if all goes well. Right. Know? And, uh, and, you know, and that's where, you know, maybe this, or, you know, hopefully we don't have to wait that long, but in terms of getting that car count up a little bit, you know, and, uh, you know, get some more privateers out there. So it's not all factory. And I'm sure the factories right. would be happy with that as well. <laughs> Probably. You know, especially GM, if they're going to spend all that money in Formula One. If Formula One lets them in. <laughs> well, right. That's a good point. It's not a given. There's no, no automatic entry. Yeah, it's like definitely it's, a, not an open door society. New, new, it's not. It's not. It's a. It's a. It's a different world. It's, it, it's very funny. Some of the people they let through that door, though, because uh, money talks. I mean, at the end of the day, because they've let some uh, pretty interesting people through that door. Absolutely. Yeah. No. It's like it. It's. It's there's. What what's it you know rules rules for thee not for me or whatever yeah rules for me not for thee yeah you know it's it's yeah they do their own thing you know yes it's, it's not a not a just society that's for sure very very closed world <laughs> but that's all right that's right we got we got what we got and we like it I Good agree with that yeah but. Uh, yeah, good stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know much else in terms of uh, you know the uh, you know looking forward to 
the Daytona race. I'm, you know, it's much, it's more curiosity to see what's going to happen on the prototype mm -hmm. side. And I think, you know, like I said earlier, we, we kind of know what's going to happen and how it's going to play on the GT side. It's just going to be, just going to be a dogfight. It's going to be a sprint. They're going to be, you know, hammer and tong the full way. And, uh, you know, see who's able to, like I said, who's able to keep the car on the racetrack out of the pit lane. And usually it's a bunch of them and, and, uh, you know, it should be a pretty, pretty good race. Now, but think you probably, I think we all know what team you probably root for in GTs. No, Maybe actually no. you'd be, you'd be shocked. I, I have, uh, I'm, I'm not like sitting there like rooting for Corvette racing. I'm not rooting against them, but I, it's, it's, uh, be happy for them if they if they do well. Be happy for them, but I'd be no less happy for for someone else if they do well. I really don't have a don't have a dog in the fight. You know, it's a, I watch it very. You know, I'm not involved anymore, and uh, you know, I know that sounds that sounds strange, but uh, you know, like I say, I'm not I'm not. Uh, I'm not drinking the Corvette Kool-Aid, you know, it's a, uh, right. You know, well, the people you knew most are probably moved on. And, yeah. You know, you know. It, and you, you know, you have no real connections to it after a while. It's just yeah. something you did. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I was, I would never have been a good Corvette ambassador. Like they've got fellows doing and stuff like that, because it, personally, I think the new cars look like an NSX. Like I can't stand. Oh yeah. Like Absolutely. I really I really don't like how they look. I, I think they're horrible looking. Well, and it's it, really it's a it's a Japanese styling with that real sharp lines. Yeah, that, you know, you see that in a lot of Asian cars. It just so sharp. And yeah, that, yeah, it's it's. Um, I saw one the other day, and honestly, for a brief moment, I thought it was a kit car. Okay, yeah, I, yeah, you know what I'm saying, like because of the kind of that square back. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it had kind of that squared off back and I just glanced at it. I wasn't really paying attention. I thought somebody was driving a kit car around. Right. Yeah. Like I say, it's just to me, when, when I first saw them, you know, a few, couple years ago, whenever they came out a few years ago, I'm like, oh, and it's an NSX. And you yeah. know, people are like, how could you say that? Cause you know, you're a Corvette guy. I'm like, well, no, I used to be a Corvette guy. I'm, you know, <laughs> but I was a Corvette racing guy. I, I've never, I never actually particularly loved the, the road cars anyway so right you know but uh, that's that's a whole different thing but the new ones i really do nothing for me you know it's not like i'm going to root against corvette racing but i just i just don't like how the cars look you know i think that, i like the what i like the ones about 10 years ago they had a really nice kind of rounded more of a rounded look about 10 years ago they were sweet like the zr1 kind of thing that they did yeah. it was very good looking car yeah yeah yeah, I really like I like roundness to a car. I don't like harshness. Yeah, and and to me, you know, to me, there's a, and you know, Aaron, it's just there's there's one thing when you're out at the infield at Daytona, you know, there's something about you know when when you hear the sound of like the Porsche GT car, you know, that engine tone is just unmistakable, and it's not the most beautiful sound you've ever heard, but it, <laughs> it's so identifiable. And, uh, you know, a lot of that changed with Corvette because of the, you know, the new car, they, you know, they lost some of the, uh, the thunder and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, like you still, you know, like the, the, the big, you know, the V10s, I mean, they still sound good, 
but you know that's the one thing that I just love about the the GT cars is the sound. You still have the the sound of the different the different types of cars, and it's just I always I always just love that and just you know being able to hear hear them around the track. It's just awesome, and you know hopefully the the new cars the new prototypes won't be you know too goofy with their batteries. But, right. You know, you got to make them sound good. They sure look good. When you have all the technology those cars have, I mean, there's a lot more things that can go wrong, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like I say, like I say, I hope it rains. We give those electronics a good test. See how, see how waterproof that, that stuff is. See how sealed up they got her. Feel how sealed up it is, right? Yeah. Right. It's a good one. <clears throat> But I don't. I don't think I really have anything else as far as the the Rolex goes. Do you, Scott? No, I sure don't. It's always fun talking to you, Chris. Yeah. No. Likewise. Absolutely. So well. So I look forward to uh, catching your episode, and uh, I'll definitely keep my eyes peeled for your your O'Connell your O'Connell podcast yeah, believe, O'Connell yeah. show. Keep my eyes peeled for that, and uh, something to look forward to for sure. We're going to have one of your other buddies on at some point. I got to get back with them. I'm um, Tommy Kendall. Oh, TK, right on. Yeah. Absolutely. Tommy Kendall. It's a good man. I was thinking about him just the other day. Yeah, he's a good Quiet, dude. Quiet, reserved Tommy Kendall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you know what? There was a there was a day that he was quiet and reserved. Damn near goody two shoes. <laughs> Right. I knew him. I knew him back in those days. I knew I've known both Tommy Kendall's. <laughs> both. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. No, he's a, he's a good dude. He's, he's awesome. I love, I love Kendall and, uh, and that's a good race car driver there. Yeah. One, one good race car driver. Yep. One of them. I'm a big fan. I'm serious. I'm seriously a big fan of Tommy Kendall. That's one of my, one of my all-time favorites. So it's that's cool. That'll be definitely something to look forward to. Say hi for me. Oh, we definitely will. Yeah, yeah. I did his back when him and Justin were doing that. Uh, what was the name of the show? They did it. That was they kind of. I think they. I think they got sort of screwed up when the the COVID stuff didn't do them any favors because sort of, something torque or something. Yeah, it was the torque. Yeah, torque show. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was uh, I, I jumped on with them. Actually, it was during during COVID. They were just sort of doing it in a studio or airplane hangar or some like a garage or something. It was kind of mm-hmm. random, but uh, yeah, no, Kendall's good fun. He's definitely good fun. It's yeah. awesome. Sweet, <laughs> sweet man. Right on. Well, I'll listen and I'll report back. I'll I'll be I'll I'll be a good fact checker since that's 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 a a modern term. I'll be a, I'll be a fact checker on Kendall. I can... <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Nothing like to worry. About. Nothing to worry about. It's all good. Good times. Yeah, that's for sure. Sweet. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot, Chris. Yeah, really thanks. Appreciate we appreciate it. it. We good. All right. Well, peace out, gents, and look forward to the next time. And uh, enjoy the Rolex. Thanks.